Those, those eggshells were bothering you? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So I'll, I'll try to tidy up my, my eggshells here. All right. So we're in uh, Montana. Um, we've got Ernie and Erica and Caleb and Krista. And um, we're kind of doing a little bit of prep for the workshop in October. Um, and we're having a little, little dinner. Like, you know, because there's so much going on, it's like the one of the only times that we could actually record a podcast is while we uh, strap on a feedback. So, um, yeah, make extra smacky sounds. And don't forget to clink your silverware a lot. Yeah, clink away. <clears throat> All right. So, um, um, all right, so we've made a list of some things that we should probably put into the podcast. And, uh, and of course, at the top of the list is, is that there's a workshop. What are what are the dates? October what? October 26th, 27th, and 28th. It's actually Rocktober. 26th, 27th, 28th. Rocktober? Mm-hmm. What is a rocks in it? Are, are you thinking of like... Rock out. Is, oh, there's going to be music? Is, is, you guys are gonna, there's going to be a band at the workshop? If that's possible. <laughs> if we get enough requests for a band, we'll, we'll get a band. Yeah. <laughs> a forks in place. Okay. So this is going to be the big rocket mass heater uh, workshop of the year. I, you know, in fact, I don't know. Maybe it'll be the biggest rocket mass heater, the most important ever. Uh, I'm trying to think of like, because I know what the reveal. I know what the reveal is. I know what the big thing that's coming out is, and I and I do think this is going to take rocket mass heaters to the to the next generation. I'm, we're trying to not say too much about it, but we've been we've been we've been playing with it uh, for a while now. And, uh, and there's been a lot of innovation over the last few months, as well as, um, you know, just in the last 24 hours. Um, but uh, uh, this will be the, the event. Um, all right. So, uh, uh, and I know, well, now there's an early bird discount, and it's like, that's just a few days away or something, isn't it? The early bird discount for the workshop. I mean, there's still, there's still spots available in the workshop. And there is. And when's the early bird discount end? I can't remember if it's August 20th or August 25th, but it is near the end of this month coming up. Okay. All right. All right. I'll try and send an email out when it's like just before so people that have been dragging their feet, you know, like, oh, yes, I will get the early bird discount tomorrow. <laughs> if you pretended in your head right now that it was going to be August 17th, you'd probably be in good shape. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, and at this workshop, there's going to be not only the rocket mass heater with the one with the big reveal, uh, but there's also going to be two J-tube rocket stoves, and there's going to be rocket hot water. And I know that, that Ernie and I had a couple of very passionate discussions of how to go about doing that. Um, well, we ate at Ekstrom's. Yeah. <laughs> you guys weren't there. We had we had huckleberry pie. Yeah. It was fresh huckleberry pie. It was fresh I huckleberry. I oven, oven huckleberry pie. Yes, it was still warm from the oven. Mm. We had uh, coconut pancakes this morning with huckleberries that you missed, Paul. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Fast. As long as you're pushing it out there. <laughs> I will top that. <laughs> I don't have anything at the moment, but I will. Um... So let's see. Uh, so there's the hot water, and so then that's one of the things we're going to talk about is like some different strategies for hot water. And to remind everybody, if you attempt to heat water with rocket technology, you will probably die. 
Um, I mean, is that accurate? Uh, because it, it does seem like there are, there, I mean, there's lots of ways for people to die doing this, and that seems like most people just seem to say, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to put this right here, and it's going to hook it up, put a little fire to it, and leave me up some water. And then that's when we get to the, the uh, boom squish part. You may not die, but if you like the skin on your face, you might want to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. That's a really yeah. good way to put it. You won't die, but you have to live with it forever. You have to live with your bad decisions. <laughs> and and everybody else gets to point and laugh. Because you'll be wearing the evidence that you don't know what the hell you're doing, and yet you tried it anyway. So, uh, so Caleb, of course, uh, your, day, your day job is to put these kinds of things in. And then Ernie's day job is to play with fire uh, and then pressurized water and, and, you know, see if you can get it to uh, not explode, which uh, is not my area of expertise, but um, it seems like the, the number one phrase that I hear all the time is something about uh, uh, steam flash, flash steam, flash, yeah. flashy the flash flash, water to flash. Yeah, water to water flashing to steam inside the coil. It's pretty ugly. It has a tendency to go boom. Right, which, and, and that's boom in the bad way, right? Yeah, yeah. boom in the bad way. Yeah. All right. So, um, so that's the, that's the workshop. What else is there about the workshop um, to say? Anything? Mm. Just better buy a ticket. That's all. Yeah. Right? yeah. Sign up. Sign up. That'd be awesome. And this is like the dream team. This is a chance to go beyond make a compost pile, heat your hot water. This is like heat your home, cook your food, potentially more, and meet the dream team, right? Mm-hmm. Right. There you Erica and Ernie, all in one place. <laughs> well, and you, know, and you guys, too. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. And uh, somebody who actually does this as a day job. Nobody's actually sent us emails and told us how big of a deal we are. <laughs> <laughs> right. it, it happens, but not daily. <laughs> Multiple times daily. I would say if we get five people who register this week and tell us it's because they listen to the podcast, that that should invoke the Huckleberry Clause, where we go out and get, like, a 50-pound bag of Huckleberries while they're fresh, <laughs> and make sure that's on the menu for the workshop. Okay, do it like pounds. You have to do the math on 50 pounds. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you have. Have you bought a 50-pound sack of Huckleberries? No, I think no, I saw a 10-pound sack. Yeah, 10-pound sack. All right. You just, I think right now, if you get it now, it's like $10 a pound, but if you get it in October... You're probably looking at twenty dollars a pound. All right. Maybe I mean a ten pound sack. I mean this sack that's like roughly the size of a baby. Is that a ten pound sack? I mean, okay. Let me ask this. I'm going to go around the table, and I want to I want to hear from each person if there is a pie that is better than huckleberry pie. And first, I'm going to start with Ernie, whose mouth is currently full because this is this is better comedy this way. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go the other way, Erica. Yeah, good choice. Ah, maybe Erica thought this would be a great time to put food in her mouth. <laughs> Caleb. Struggling, although I don't really have a pie favorite. You must the pie that's suck. in front of me. <laughs> oh, come on, you can't tell me the pie that's in front of you. Two huckleberry pies. <laughs> coconut cream. You like coconut cream pie better? Absolutely. You had huckleberries just yesterday. Yep. And you still think coconut okay. cream pie is better yeah, than huckleberry? I bet. They just call it a pie, but I don't know if that's actually a pie. I'm going to say, I'm going to use my authority to step in and say, I, I, I hereby qualified as a pie. <laughs> okay. I have had coconut cream pie, and it is it is awesome. It is delicious. I'd, All right, Erica. I would have to go with a pie I can eat because I don't eat sugar anymore. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> the pie I've had in the last year was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. So, <clears throat> So 
if there's enough sign-ups before the uh, uh, early bird date thing, then, then there could be Huckleberry Pie is what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, like, I like how this worked out because it sounds like I don't have to actually do any work other than show up. And the Huckleberry Pie mysteriously appears. This works so good for me. <laughs> All right. Um, the next item I got on the list is uh, uh, free range minions. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, oh, and, and Ernie's got his mouth full, so he points to Erica, whose mouth is full. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a system. We got this. We got this worked out. You're gonna put stuff in my mouth too. We're rocket stove keep builders. What we're looking for on this East Coast trip is some minions that we can that we can assign certain tasks to and that they will do them and give us the information back. Those are our free range minions. And then we I want to talk a little bit more about that too. And then we need a couple of minions that would like to come up to Tenasket, Washington for about a month ish. And uh be our non-free-range minions and um, do a whole lot of rock stove building and testing. Kind of like a minion tractor. Kind of like a minion tractor, yeah. We're going to have a minion tractor up in Tenasket. Maybe you should just define your definition of minion. Okay, so there's, so the East Coast trip, we, um, we have had some very lovely people from places like Prince Edward Island or Florida or... Um, Virginia, who would, who would really love to have us come out and do a workshop. Um, that's like three to 4,000 miles from where we live, which is kind of a lot of travel costs to cover for, you know, like a really fun three-day weekend. Um, and then there's the, the whole other category of people who want something built for them, but maybe have health problems or more money than time and want someone else to do the majority of the work. And that's not what we do. We do research and education primarily. Um, so what we're looking for on this East Coast trip is to try to meet as many people as possible who already have solid building skills, ideally natural building. You've worked with some earthen materials. Um, but it could also be traditional masons or people that work on heaters or, or systems like the solar stuff that Caleb works on, um, who are interested in learning more about rocket mass heaters and potentially being able to be one of those people that helps people get them built. Um, you know, there's a learning curve involved. I wouldn't want it your second stove that you've ever built to be one you put in a client's house. Um, but if you've already got some skills and you'd like to come along for one or two stops on this workshop tour, uh, we are opening up an assistant slot for those workshops. And we'd love to have conversations with people who've got some skills and want to maybe become part of the, the network of people who build these things. So, Minion would be somebody that uh, does work um, for no pay and um, will be pointed and laughed at and ridiculed if they do anything wrong. Um, and, uh, um, I don't know, it'll be in, and, and will be entertainment when, when called upon? I'm not sure. Yeah, well, yeah totally. Again, warm? somebody who values our endorsement on their work enough to actually, like, say, take some direction and build some stuff and, you know, stay in conversation until we're confident that they can do these things reliably. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so you're looking for two different kinds of minions. One that's a free range that's going to be, like, uh, either doing stuff, like, you'll be able to see it as part of the tour, 
Right. Now, or, and then there's another kind that's going to come and be in Tenasket in the middle of winter, and um, it's going to be cold outside, so you better build a good rocket mass heater or you might uh, suffer uh, due to your incompetence. Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Now, I know when we talked earlier, we talked about the idea that there could potentially be a teepee set up, and that part of the project would be to build a rocket mass heater in the teepee, yeah. and, and then we're going to uh, uh, hold a ruler up to see how much you suffer in that scenario. Is that right? Yes. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll hold the yardstick up. I'm sorry that, that um, at this point we are unprepared to offer uniforms <laughs> and funny-looking helmets. We so. should buy, uh, just, just buy some blue overalls. Uh, <laughs> oh, make them buy their own. <laughs> I'm afraid that any Chilean sea bass on site, lasers or not, are going to be dinner. Yes. <laughs> Chilean sea bass is, is not for lasers, it's for eating. Um, so it's kind of boring minion work, but yeah. on the other hand, you do get to burn stuff. Yeah. We'll try to, stuff. try to warn you before you blow stuff up. Yeah. Oh, and I should note that on the property that we live on is a very old cantankerous sailor couple. So if they don't like you, you are going to hit the road. Okay? So just be warned that that uh, this is a, a low-key minion deal. So I think what you just said is that uh, they need to be able to tolerate abuse from everybody. Yeah, pretty but much. they have to never abuse anybody. Yes. Yes. So just like minions. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we got. I'm glad we had this chat. Got it worked out. Yeah. So uh, and yet I I suspect that there'll probably be about 40 people <laughs> yeah. dying to do this. So all you, you talk mostly about the downside. There's a lot of upside. <laughs> you got you got to filter somehow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Actually, that brings us into another subject that we wanted to put on here, um, and it's something that Eric and I have heard about a couple of times, um, and it was kind of brought up just lately, too. There is no conflict in this between rocket stoves and um, masonry heaters. We're both trying to do the same thing, and it's two different ways to get to the same end using minimal wood. And um, you know we're 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 both trying to to improve something in the world. So anybody who's out there having this big old argument about which one is better and which one isn't between those two, it's like, pretty complicated. Like what fighting about whether it's the rainforest or the Arctic that's going to suffer more from global warming? Yeah. Like, um, let's just sort of like work on the solution rather than trying to like pick on each other. Yeah. All right, so, um, well, wait. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take exception with that. I mean, I don't feel like I'm going out there and bashing the the masonry stoves. No, I mean, but but at the same time, I kind of feel like um, I'm a little, you know, and it's got a look to it. Some people might be into that look, but basically, my understanding is is that the minimum price is ten grand to have one installed. Yeah. And and then um and then plus they don't burn as clean, and um. But the, on the upside, there are uh, areas where they are permitted. Like, like you can, the they're, they're permitting process now acknowledges that they exist and will allow people to actually have them. Well, and some of the limitations on how you can build one are the result of them having put in the time for 20 years to get them legally permittable in the United States. Right. So they, I mean, they put a lot of sweat equity into making it possible to do masonry heating in general, um, and we're kind of riding on some of that work riding on their coattails because there's great documentation out there of what makes something like this safe. 
So now um, we'll talk for a moment about to do a little bit more comparison. My understanding is is that uh, a masonry heater is uh, going to uh, heat your home with less wood. Uh, and when it compares to a, a rocket mass heater, I'm going to guess that a rocket mass heater is just a little bit ahead. But it's a, it's a close call. Is that about accurate? Yeah, I'd say that's about accurate. They do different things. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then the rocket mass heater is definitely cleaner, though. Um, okay, the rocket mass heater is cleaner because we we haven't got a couple of stipulations that that uh, masonry heaters have. Like, we don't have to go out the roof at what is it, 100 plus degrees or something like that? 350 is minimum for wood I don't know what it is for masonry heaters, but I I think it's over 200. Yeah. So it's like over 200. So you can't have a system burn really super clean when you've got to release that much heat in the atmosphere. Right. So <clears throat> if, if you're allowed to release your exhaust at a temperature that's near room temperature, near 70 degrees, then you've, you've been able to capture all that extra heat. Whereas, you know, uh, when uh, and if you've got a, a masonry heater that re is required by law right. to to be pushing it out at 250 or higher, then then you're going to have a rocket mass heater which is like not regulated, uh, be able to to be more efficient, keep more heat indoors, so use right. less wood to heat your home. Yeah. But now when burn it comes to and okay and burn cleaner because now I always thought like the the masonry heaters or the masonry stoves they don't have the uh, the the heat riser. And the heat riser is where the magic happens to make it so clean. They don't, but they've got other things that you can do to them, like chambers and bells and, and all kinds of things that can get heat up in that whole burn system where they're letting more air in at certain parts of the burn. They can burn really clean, but it's, it's at a cost that we don't pay doing rocket stoves. Well, that's, yeah. yeah, the biggest cost, I mean, first off, I'd say, you know, I think far as regulated and unregulated, I'm sure they, they feel like we're cheating, which could technically be one way to look at it. Um, the, there are designs that, that actually look relatively similar to rocket mass heaters. Um, they're not using uh, recycled parts to do the job, so that's part of where the expense comes in. They're using, you know, custom cast refractory materials for a lot of the tricky places. Um, and they do burn extremely clean. Um, you well, can't you can't do some you can't do heat exchange off the exhaust if your system is putting out creosote. Um, you can't clean it off enough to make it safe. So they do burn it very clean. Um, the thing I think the thing that's one of the biggest differences in what your experience would be and in what your cost would be to run one is the masonry heaters are a batch burn. You're going to load a specific amount of wood, and often it's quite a large amount of wood to burn it, and, you, and your only control is how often you burn that batch. You might burn one a day, typically, if it's sized properly for your home during the winter. You might burn two a day if the weather got really cold, or you might have to go, like, every other day during the spring or fall or something like that. Um, but you're kind of committed to burning that larger batch of wood. Um, the rocket stove is something you can feed a much smaller amount of wood, uh, but you're going to be paying attention to it a little bit more. You're going to be paying attention to it, um, you know, maybe once an hour, once every couple hours for, you know, maybe a few hours an evening. Uh, so so it's, it, you can regulate better 
how much wood you're going to use based on what your comfort zone is. Uh, but you put the time in. So the, the thing that I think is the issue at, at hand, so we've talked about a little bit about the differences between the two, but the issue at hand is that, um, and, and I, I don't know what's been going the other way, but I know that when we go out and talk about, when I go out and I talk about rocket mass heaters, I'm getting some of the guys that are the masonry stove guys coming out and saying psycho bullshit stuff. Right. And, and basically what, what, it, what I think is really going on is that here these guys are. They've dedicated the 10 years of their life to learning this. Because the other thing is is that you can't – it's not like just anybody can build one of these right. and have it work correctly. You've got to be – you've got to know what the hell you're doing. You really – I mean, it's, they're, they're pretty sophisticated. And they take about three months to build. That's what I've heard. I haven't directly ob- observed that. Well, it seems like Dale. I heard that from – I thought I heard that from Dale. There, it's a three-dimensional labyrinth of channels. I mean, you, you need, and then you've got an expansion joint, and then you need to create a casing that's not going to crack around this thing is essentially floating as a separate masonry layer. So, yeah, it's, it's a master mason's work. Um, and I have had extremely marvelous experiences working with a few master masons in my life, and I really want there to be more of them in the world. Um, so I, you know, I have all the respect in the world for the skill it takes to do that, and it's entirely possible that we're going to get to a point where steel is too valuable to be sticking it in something as low-tech as a home heater, and we're going to want to be doing all masonry or all local materials versions, that the masonry heater models are going to be a really good example of how to do that. So the issue is that these guys, they only get like two to four jobs per year building these things. Yeah. And then um, uh, we come along and we say, hey, any pots can build one of these in a weekend. And, uh, you know, it seems like we, we but what I've heard back is most people building them are spending about 200 bucks. I mean, they're cobbling together some parts, usually the barrel, and, and then uh, whatever else. It's usually like 200 bucks or so, uh, maybe yeah. 250 and then they put it together in a day and a half. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're having uh, great success. I mean, it's burning cleaner and, and burning more efficiently than if they put in a full-fledged masonry heater. Uh, and so these guys, where this is their job, and they've sacrificed 10 years of their life to learn this with the idea that they're now going to have this job for the next 30 years building these to the tune of uh, two to four per year, and suddenly this comes in, and it totally destroys their livelihood because it's a superior technology that came along. Um, and so they're pissed, and they are just bashing the crap out of rocket mass heaters with, with psycho crap whenever they get a chance. This has been this, this seems to be what I've experienced, but you guys are saying that there's some of this going the other way too, like rocket mass heater people are bashing the, the masonry stoves also? Yeah. And it's it's we're not And there's also there's um I'm trying to, I'm trying to, oh, I give to Ernie because Ernie's my left hand, and you're my right hand, and I'm trying to eat my food. And with my, I'm not good at eating my food with my left hand. I'll be brief, and you can talk to Ernie again. Um, I would, just based on the people who are hanging out online, like, sharing stories about building the rocket mass heaters, I'd also say maybe for every five people that build one that works really well and they kind of follow the directions, there's at least three who do something psycho and call it a rocket mass heater. So if your masonry heater guy gets called in to look at this guy's cool thing and it's a death trap or it just doesn't plain work, you could see where they would they would end up having kind of an off opinion. 
or you've got it, or you've got a young guy who who's just went out and built a rocket mass eater. He's super excited. Somebody starts asking questions, and he really doesn't know the answers to them, and starts just bashing, being defensive, and bashing. And that's not the point here. The point here is that we're building something that's essentially a rocket mass heater, or essentially a, a, a masonry stove with a steel barrel on it. Okay, all the parts are there. The masonry guys are basically building something that is a giant masonry heater. Some of them have some of the earmarks of a, of a rocket mass heater. Some of them don't. And the reality is we should be standing here working towards a common goal, not fighting each other on the way. Because the whole point of this is wood efficiency and heating people's homes and people for as little as possible damage. That's my point of view. Um, the bashing goes both ways. I get really kind of tired of hearing it and seeing it because I think it, it reflects badly on both of them. Um, there, there's, there's mutual admiration that goes both ways, too. I know, like, our friend Kiko has joined the Masonry Heater Association and went and showed them, you know, they did some all-brick rocket mass heater-style heaters at one of their last meetings. And so it's just like, especially the older Masons seem to be kind of more interested in They've, you know, they've been around the block and they've seen a bunch of different styles and seeing something else that works is just always part of that ongoing lifelong education. Um, the other thing I want to get out there is, yeah, you, a lot of people are building these off the grid and off the radar for, you know, less than a few hundred dollars. You're not going to put something in your house that's up to code for a few hundred dollars. Yeah. I mean, just the chimney materials to make something that any local code agency is going to regard as safe just the chimney's going to be about a grand. Yeah, but his regarding it as safe is from a point of ignorance. Like, his, his job is to regulate based upon his, his current knowledge set, which is limited. It yeah. might be safe to put a rocket mass heater in with a low-temperature exhaust, but I don't feel like it's safe to put something in that looks like a chimney and isn't in a house where somebody that moves in in five years <coughs> might not know what a rocket mass heater is and might swap that out for a wood stove. Yeah. So it's, I mean, building code is looking at a different angle, and they don't regard the environment very well, and they don't regard your neighbor's health as a priority, but they do regard the building occupant's health and safety, and, you know, it's, it's worth, it's definitely worth looking closely at what your local code would require and making some real serious choices about what you're going to skip if you want to, if you want to take shortcuts. But it's also, it's also worth noting, okay, you're building a stove that can, just like masonry stoves, you're building a stove that isn't, it isn't a 10-year stove. It isn't a 20-year stove. It's a 100, 200, 300-year stove. So one of the things when you're doing, the, doing an installation or design um, and, and you're thinking about this, think about what's going to happen, you know, 50 or 60 years down the road, who's going to be in your house? Is it going to be you, or is it going to be somebody totally different? Nine times out of ten, it's going to be somebody totally different. And excuse me, giving those giving those people um, a uh, a problem fifty years down the road isn't what you want to be doing. What you want to be doing is giving them a, a good deal that's pretty easy to operate. It's one of the reasons why Erica and I at our every host gets basically a rocket stove baby book 
and what it is is how the thing's built, what it's made out of, um, all of the uh, all of the particulars as far as their stove, how many pieces of newspaper it takes to light, how many, uh, you know, what size bundle of sticks, how you load it, all of that stuff's in that little baby book. And that means that if you pass that along with the stove, then 50 years down the road, somebody picks up the baby book and goes, oh, here's how we light it, here's how we work it, and, well, now i got my house heater, and they don't have to worry about it. It's one of the things about, about masonry stoves in Europe is some of those masonry stoves in Europe are 600 years old, and they've been being used consistently for 600 years. You know, that's a pretty good record. But also, I know several of them that the people don't know how to use all the functions. So I think this is a good thing to talk about is what is the lifespan of, uh, like, the rocket mass heater that you guys built in Portland, the one that you built in Tenasket, and the one that you built in Lake Tahoe? Um, let's see. The one in Portland we had for six years, it's a 120-pound grease can on a six-inch system. Um it was burnt as primary heat for the entire time, and there's no degradation in it. Um, so I would say that as long as people want to burn it, it's got a lifespan of, well, with before you replace the barrel, it's probably got a lifespan of about 40 years. Then you replace the barrel somewhere down the line. So you think in about 40 years you might replace the barrel? Yeah, in about 40 years you might replace the barrel. And then if you keep replacing the barrel and any other kind of maintenance, what's the lifespan then? Um, indefinite. Okay. Because then you were, you were just talking about masonry stoves. Yeah. And now, you know, hundreds of years. I, and so I kind of got that the implication was is that yeah, rocket, rocket stoves on the, are, on the same, are on the same par. Okay. All right. You know, you don't you don't run a masonry stove without having to fix it over time and do do routine maintenance on it. Same with rocket stoves. They're they're basically, um, from what every indication we've seen, all the all the killer tests that I've run on them, they're going to last as long as a masonry stove with basically routine maintenance on them. I mean, in either case, the metal components and making sure that any replacements are seated properly so they got, like, their little expansion joints and stuff, that's going to be probably your first place that's going to fail. I've seen masonry heaters where, like, the damper is kind of stuck or stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and that it's just very hard to fit metal into masonry in a way that doesn't degrade either. So uh, one of the things you brought up uh, reminds me of a 45-minute-long, um, I guess we could call it a Discussion, <laughs> a a passionate exchange uh, about uh, exhaust temperatures, the uh, the idea of putting the exit, uh, putting a, 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 a riser of well not a riser is a, a chimney is not the right word riser is not the right word but putting an exhaust a vertical exhaust near the the bell right. uh, so that it would warm the exhaust to get it to go up and out versus uh, something where you just dribble it out the side of the wall at a low point. So we spent, I think, about 45 minutes uh, talking about that. And, and I think in the end uh, that that you guys wanted to shut, wanted me to shut up. And so you kind of told me what I wanted to hear to end the conversation, uh, and, and which was that if we're shooting for making something as efficient as possible, which I think we're kind of pushing the limits of how efficient we can get. But when it gets to the optimal efficiency, 
then the temperature that's leaving the house is going to be slightly lower than room temperature. That's about as efficient as you can possibly get. Mm-hmm. And that's because the bench will be colder than room temperature. Right, right. And we're going to try to warm up that end of the bench slowly. Right. So by the end of the burn, maybe what's leaving the house might be slightly above room temperature. Mm-hmm. And that's. But then when, when you've got this um, vertical uh, exhaust, and like you like you've done all the exhaust, you've done all the heating of the bench, and then you have this rise and then out. You've heated it a little bit more to get it to go up and out. Yes. Now you've made it a little less efficient, but your exhaust is a little higher. And then it's like part of part of what came into a lot of the discussion was where are your windows? Which direction is the wind typically blowing? If it has a typical direction, right. <clears throat> things of that nature. Yeah, there's a. Your house have an attic, and does it have roof vents? These stoves were developed in cob cottages in southern Oregon, which is a fairly mild climate, and they use a living roof with a, a pond liner covering the roof and then living matter. Yep, EPDM. Rubber. Yeah. So if you have no air escaping your house upward through the roof, there's there's not a lot of competition for that stove to draft, where if you've got a stove that's trying to draft low and you've got air leaving your house high, then there's a real tendency for the house to act as a bigger chimney than the stove is. Yeah, and this this is a serious problem in, in two-story buildings. Yeah. Or in basements. Or basements. One in a basement. Yeah. You're going to need to use heat to get the material out the house in a way that you wouldn't if you're installing on a single-story house. Yeah, and and it's just basic physics. This, you can port them out just sideways. You can, but it takes pretty special... Uh, situations to do that. If you're doing it in a basement and you want to stick it out out the side wall or out of a basement window, then dig a 55-gallon drum-sized hole, plumb it into the 55-gallon drum, and uh, cover the drum with a little bit of dirt and leave some holes in the top. That'll work. But you can't expect to fight physics and airflow without knowing w- without knowing some of this stuff. We've gotten asked one person and then ask their spouse the, the same question about which direction wind blows, and we basically got 360 degrees out of the compass rows. Um, that really doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was like three or four answers, and if you plotted them all on the same compass rows, it kind of made a peace sign, <laughs> which is actually could be realistic answers for a given place. You might have prevailing evening and morning winds and a storm direction and a typical like cold, sunny weather direction that the wind would be coming from. And if you don't have a downwind side, trying to set up a low exhaust on your downwind side of your house becomes problematic. It's in the wrong place part of the time. So I want to make sure that I uh, convey the things that are the issues with with, uh, exhausting low. Um, One is that if you get a whole bunch of snow outside, suddenly you're not – you might even not be exhausting at all. Will the snow plug your exhaust? Uh, Another one is that if you do a straight shot out, then all you need is a wind to go straight into that, and, and you've just created a lot of scary. Um, uh, and then you, I think the, the, the solution, the next solution for that is to have an elbow right there that points downward. That's actually a, a pretty decent solution, uh, but there are some problems with that, but they're pretty minor problems. The next, the next improvement is, is to have a T, so that the T goes down and up, and that, that's, that's far better. Um, you know, and, and then there's the idea of you have the tea and it's like in a box 
that uh, is covered in mesh that's fixed to the walls. Nothing can move it, and you might want to shape the top of the box so that nobody attempts to stack anything on top of it. Or anything live in it. Or, yeah, or have any, any living thing decide to explore your house through this interesting little uh, opening, this interesting tunnel going into your home. It's got to be in the top five most common reasons your rocker stove doesn't work. Is like you can build the whole thing absolutely right, and you can forget the screen on the end, and you've got a pack rat nesting in it every every summer that dies every winter, and it's just ugly. Yeah, it is ugly. I would like to point out that it's midsummer. We're making a rocket stove thing here. We're going to be building one in October here in Missoula, and there's a whole bunch of you that have built rocket stoves out there that you're going to be lighting up in the fall. So here is the lighting instructions for lighting your rocket stove up for for the first time of the year in the fall. Do it slowly. Take a candle. Stick it underneath the heat riser. Let the candle burn down until the whole system is pulling appropriately up the, up the chimney. And then light the stove. And do it slow. A couple hours in, at night, as it's as it's getting as it's getting a little bit colder. I understand here in Missoula, you, you're in high summer, and then in about three weeks, you're going to be starting to get a little chill on the ground. Um, so you light it and start and start it slow. And remember, it works better the colder it is. So if it's midnight and you're happen to be up feeding the cat, you know, toss the candle underneath there, get it going a little bit, burn a little bit of kindling. And then just shut it down for the evening and not have to worry about it. Just raise the temperature slow and let it work for you. Yeah. <clears throat> um, before we forget, we should mention how we find the workshop. I, I know that we've got it in the Missoula forum out at Permies. So if you just go to permies.com slash Missoula, uh, you should be able to find it there. Um, it's been a pretty active thread in that forum. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about, like, uh, you know, camping and, and food and, and where do I stay and, and, and uh, oh, yeah, everybody wants a DVD, and it's like, uh, and, I, and I think this is a good point to point out that it's like, uh, uh, you know what, I, it seems like I've been to a lot of events where there's promises that there was going to be a DVD later, and it never happened. And, and I mean, either, either the people that were going to be doing the filming never showed up. They said that they would be there, but when it came right down to it, they didn't show, or they did show, and they filmed everything, and the DVD just never came out. So, okay, Chris has got something. So, I mean, this brings me to what I wanted to say. This workshop is on the cusp of some really serious innovations, and there's nothing like being there. I mean, to have Ernie and Erica there talking me through my personal first lighting of a Rocketman theater is awesome, and that's not experienced through a DVD. That's a good point, to be able to actually light them and actually be able to, and then plus, I think, ask questions. You know, Ernie, what the fuck? <laughs> no me, no me. I mean, the, the things that happen in a hands-on education setting don't often make very good television because it's you sitting there like with your hands muddy and you're like doing this thing and then somebody comes along and shows you this other thing and all the camera can see is elbows and you suddenly learn something that you hadn't even got the words to articulate that you needed to ask. Um, so the people who are there are going to get the most benefit. I, I have no problem if somebody wants to stand in the back with a video camera, and I'm even willing to restage some things later so that the camera can get kind of the, the, the front row seat without having to be in the way of all the people that came to the workshop. 
And you know what gets edited out in a DVD? Our phrases like, Paul, that was totally inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> or, Paul, get out of the damn door. <laughs> Those doors were so small. <laughs> you could barely fit through those doors. And I'm sorry, but the, the DVD does not come with Huckleberry Pie. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. An important point. And I mean, the other part about this being so innovative is this is a chance for guys and gals doing this on their own to come and be innovators themselves, to give their ideas and contribute, and to network with other people. I mean, that's also not experience on a DVD. Yeah, this will be uh, Rocket Mass Heater Workshop Dating. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like people that are into Rocket Mass Heaters? Well, the people that are the most into Rocky Matthews will be at this workshop. How how better to meet them than to come to this workshop? So for a romantic night of burning things and setting your heart on fire. <laughs> So I'm sure there will be some kind of effort to record, but I don't think anybody should count on it. And guess what Eric and I just found out about this? About this, Close by this place is a hotel connected to a strip club. So we've got everybody covered. We've got the friends. I have no idea. I just thought well, we got gas on the way out, and I've been telling people kind of that there's hotels close by. And I mentioned 10 miles because the one that's the closest is a trap is attached to a strip club at the truck stop. Do they have hourly rates? <laughs> I you don't know. I don't you know, know you're, not, you're gonna you're gonna pretend to not know. Okay. Yeah. Yes, the, the blank face is, is legitimate. I honestly do not know. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna be kind of actually slightly disturbed if Krista does know. <laughs> Krista, do you know? I don't. What I do know is that we are providing some accommodations and food, and if that is one of your creature comforts to go to the hotel near the strip club, you are welcome to that as well. You don't have to tell us where you're staying. <laughs> and if you want to dance on the tables at our place, that's probably okay, too. <laughs> so now, I remember when I first moved to Missoula, uh, I don't know, 20-some years ago, then the guy that was driving me and my stuff over, uh, the only reason that he would come along and drive with me is because he's heard, like, for years about Fred's. And so this is this was his whole, this is the purpose for his whole trip. It's like, <laughs> Fred, Fred. He talked about Fred's the whole drive over. Fred, oh. Fred. And then it's like, there it is, as we're driving by it to go all the way into Missoula. There it is, there it is. And so, uh, yeah, this is, uh, so apparently it's a big deal. Uh, apparently it is famous. I've seen a kayak movie and a ski movie that had some Montana-based stuff that both had video of the sign of Fred <laughs> that I picked up on. It's an icon. Apparently, apparently it is. I've, I've never been there. Kind of like the Oxford where you get brains and eggs. Yeah. There's a road called Fred in your neighborhood, isn't yeah. it? I bet that's the that's, place. <laughs> You live on Fred Road. But it's a different Fred. <laughs> yeah, right. Much oh, girl. Uh, huh? Well, thank God this place isn't called Caleb's. That would be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Caleb, if that's your real name. That's just what the ladies call you. All right. Um, uh, which brings us to an interesting topic. So the next item I've got on the list is how awesome Missoula is. This is Ernie and Erica's first time ever to be in Missoula. So on the uh, on the town awesomeness. 
scale. They have buffalo herds. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That's awesome. We had those installed. That's so just, awesome. We had those installed just for you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I was I was pretty excited to watch a deer quietly eating, like, and not just a deer, but one with like a pretty good rack eating the flowers in the park as we drove through downtown. Like, <laughs> I, 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 there's a deer in the park in Portland, but it's made of prawns. <laughs> no? Oh, okay. Yeah, we have live deer in yeah, town. Yeah. But I think and a lot of people eat the flowers. <laughs> and they, yep, yeah. Yep. Somebody's going to eat the flowers. And, like, they have, like, organic pasture-raised cheese curds, which I'm, my, I have ancestors from Wisconsin, and it's very hard for me to resist cheese curds. And so to have cheese curds that are conceivably, like, actually good to eat and taste really awesome was, that was, that was really excellent. I got a props to lifeline on those. Um, elk, elk, elk fingers was pretty cool. I didn't know elk had fingers. Well, apparently they do. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, those were those were pretty awesome. Let's see, we've been to like four different totally out of this world restaurants, and I'm a pretty good cook. For those of you who have been in prior workshops where I've cooked, I'm a pretty good cook. And if I'm saying it's awesome. It's seriously awesome. <laughs> I don't think we even went to the ones that were the most, the, the, that are like the fine dining ones. No, no, we didn't. And and I don't know that I could handle going to the ones that are fine dining ones at this particular point in time. <laughs> so you saw, you saw the carousel? Oh, yeah, the carousel, the carousel is amazing. Um, a bunch of hand-carved horses. The place is packed, folks. <laughs> I mean, packed <laughs> with everybody all the seats are full. Uh, the kids and the kids are all lined up to be next on the carousel, you and they, they're all jiggling like they're going to wet their pants as they want to get in because they want to get the outside horses. Yeah, so they can, so they can grab get the, the, brass, gra- get the brass ring. Which, which if they whoever gets the brass ring gets a free ride. It's like, right. but and their parents are going to give them all the rides they want anyway. Yeah, but it's well, like they just have to have the brass ring. The process of like leaping up and down and grabbing a brass ring from a horse, like especially if you haven't done that on real horses. I've ridden real horses and I thought it was pretty cool. It goes really fast. And it, it goes like, really fast. It goes up and down in a very exciting way. It's <laughs> like you know, I was watching the poor kid in front of me that got one of the two horses on the whole thing that doesn't go up and down, and he was like really, really wanted to switch horses, but he managed to hold it together. <laughs> oh and, yeah, and the and the three feet, the the two and a half and three foot tall girls. Sitting on the on the outside horses trying to get to the brass ring thing. <laughs> they really can't reach it. Yeah, I yeah. almost got on the on the carousel so that I could catch the brass ring and just give it to one of them because they're <laughs> trying so hard. <laughs> <laughs> the, the carousel is pretty amazing. I mean, it sounds like it would be a lame thing. Like a lot of towns have a carousel, but I think I think ours is an order of magnitude above and beyond what you can imagine. Well, most of the time, your car- when you go to a count- town carousel, most of the time, there's nobody there. It's yeah, like one or two people. I don't know if it's orders of magnitude beyond what you can imagine. It's every. It's exactly what you would expect from a carousel if it wasn't disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you can, you, there's like the little little pleasant surprises here and there. But it's, it's kind of like um, the perfect chocolate ice cream. Okay. Right? Like, there's a lot of... It's hard to get bad chocolate ice cream, but every once in a while you hit the perfect chocolate ice cream that's, like, 
everything you want from chocolate ice cream plus that little bit of fudge that actually tastes like fudge or whatever it is. It and is. cinnamon. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They just like they got it all exactly right except the one thing they added was something that you actually like. Yeah. <laughs> and and then we stopped by Free Cycles. Oh yeah, yeah. Free right. Cycles is the shit. Yeah, Ernie um, wanted to just move in and never leave. Yeah. <laughs> we had that experience a yeah. lot. <laughs> <laughs> we went to uh, Axman, which, oh, is, yeah. which um, I honestly have to say, Caleb works there, so we went in to see him. And we were trying to hold a conversation about supplies for this thing in, o- in October. And I really couldn't concentrate on the con- conversation as I was looking at all of the cool stuff on the walls. Yeah. Okay, if you go there, go there in the morning, so it's like because a, you ain't leaving until the afternoon. <laughs> so it's a farm supply store with wood stoves and solar panels and micro hydro and uh, firefighting stuff, and yeah. uh, it's like it's like the real farm supply. Not, I mean, the other farm supplies just all seem like uh, people that want to buy a fence charger and. Um, Purina chicken chow. Right. And this, and this is like this is like the 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 real the really? real farm store. Stop fucking around. Yeah. This is the shit. <laughs> Plus it's the museum. Yeah, it's also a registered museum of Montana work history. Yeah. Like so there's plenty of wonderful retail space that most people think are is just crazy. But it is this perfect retail space that's literally just covered with displays for the museum. They it's very an airplane in it. <laughs> well, I thought the old chainsaws was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those chainsaws, and actually at one of the, the owner's house, it was there working on a solar array for him this week. He's got an old crop duster uh-huh. that he's been fixing up that's actually going to be a giant wind vane for the corner of the property. It's a good, just 20, 30 feet long, and that, that will be the wind vane at the corner of the property. It's too. important to know which direction the wind blows. Yeah. 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 And what better way to measure it than yeah. the old crop dust? Right. <laughs> right. 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 So, and then Rock and Rudy's. Yeah, Rock and Rudy's was excellent. We went and got postcards for all of our nieces out there. Hi, nieces. Um, <laughs> So we got we Rock and Rudy's is, is another place that was stunning in its eclecticness. Um, we we picked up postcards. We got to read massive numbers of bumper stickers and, and magnets and and we saw a chunk of the old uh, uh, antenna. Yeah, we saw a chunk of the old uh, of the of the old microwave antenna, which was kind of cool. You you got like the lower quarter or eighth of a peace sign. I think it's a ninth. A lower ninth of a peace sign. Yeah. yeah. It was up on the hill. Yeah. That was that was pretty mm-hmm. cool. And then they, uh, let's see. We went to the farmer's market, which is where the cheese curds were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Erica can handle the farmer's market because I'm running out of talk. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, yeah, we covered that. But, but uh, I mean, that was, I don't know. We, it seems like we only spent like half a day uh, doing touristy things, and and then we went and got back to work or something. Yeah. So it wasn't very long. <laughs> yeah. Then we ate at Extreme Stage Station where they had the. Man. That was that was awesome. That was that was definitely awesome. Oh right, and then they had. Uh, we were a little worried because as we pulled up, it's like because it's at Rock Creek, and there's like this little bar that comes like about um, a quarter of a mile before Extreme Stage Station. And there was, like, hundreds of cars. It's like, oh, no, that's right. The testicle festival is going on right now. So uh, this is uh, where they eat Rocky Mountain oysters. 
And so basically it's like uh, rednecks and hillbillies getting together and they're doing like what they do at the uh, the Oregon Country Fair, only they're doing it more like Budweiser style. Yeah. So a lot of people get naked, a lot of eating a rocket, I want to say rocket mass heaters, but no, that's not it. They're, they're eating Rocky Mountain oysters. Lots of moves. Lots of moves. Moves. <laughs> I didn't actually, as we drove by, I didn't see any naked women. Right. But yeah. There was lots of moves. Moves. Yeah. <laughs> and then as we went to Ekstrom's, uh, some of the some of the bikers came in. Yeah. And and ate, but it, it wasn't too bad at Ekstrom's with bikers. They were very loud. Yeah. <laughs> they liked they were, being loud. But they were calm. They were very loud. The bikes were very loud. The, I mean, I, I'm kind of torn in motorcycles. I think motorcycles are pretty. But there's no bloody way in hell you're going to put my butt on one of them. Okay. You know, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. It's, it's great to see them run around out there, and I really wish they'd be a little quieter because they're just loud. <laughs> it's like loud cars. I don't want to hear them, but I really want to look at them. You know, um, wait a minute. This is describing women, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. Eric is going to now kill me. <laughs> so, uh, so so basically, it sounds like the overall rating for Missoula is uh, the most fucking awesome county you've ever been to. Is that is that correct? Is that Am I exaggerating? It's, got, it's like pretty much got the good parts of a city and the good parts of a country living in the same place, and I didn't know that was possible. Yeah, I won't say it's the most awesome because, quite frankly, I don't think Paul's been up to been up to uh, some of the towns in Alaska, which offers somewhat the same thing with moose and grizzly bears in your in your front yard. So, you know, it is extremely cool. However, and okay. I would give it I would give it a firm place in about the top five. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, we don't. I don't think I've ever seen moose or grizzly bears. In town, and unless of course you count the the actual uh, the, the the mascot for the local college, uh, which is the Grizzlies, but which everybody's wearing Grizzly stuff all the time, but that doesn't really count. They did have to lock down the airport last year though, because there was a bear trying to get through the automatic doors. Do you remember that? <laughs> they locked it down because he was hitting the motion sensors and was get, trying to get inside. Now, but it was a Grizzly. No, no, but it was a bear. I mean, I've seen black at an airport. Yeah. yeah, come on. Trying to get yeah. TSA. They, they weren't allowing that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the geese can just fly on their own, but I mean, what's the bear going to do, really? Yeah. 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 He's, he's just heading out for migration, doggone TSA agents. He's got to go visit some kin in Saskatchewan. I, I think he wouldn't take off his shoes to get through security. <laughs> <laughs> they had to lock it down. <laughs> so, uh, but I've, I've seen uh, bears in towns around here before, not Missoula, but... Um, Black bears, I mean, they're all over the place. It's the grizzly bears that are the scary ones. Well, yeah, there's Dead Horse of Alaska, which really doesn't have all of the uh, amenities of this. But uh, you have polar bears and grizzly bears in town. Um, that's kind of, oh, and caribou. <laughs> um, is there anything you guys want to mention about your East Coast tour? I've got it on the list here. We kind of mentioned it a little bit. Um, can I just kind of... Do a very, very brief and polite rant. Yes, fine, what, whatever. I just, if you are listening to this podcast a year later or like three months later and you're like, dude, I wish you would come to my place. It's in the middle of nowhere and you were just near here two months ago, but I missed it. Um, that's going to be your personal sad and it's frankly going to be not my problem. I keep getting people who uh, uh, keep writing me about this, that, and the other thing, and why didn't I tell them and stuff like that. And it's like, 
why the fuck did you think I made that daily-ish email? Because everybody wants to hear the stuff. And it's like, you know, you've got to actually send it. Well, what if I give you my email address? It doesn't work that way. You have to sign up yourself. Right, right. I can't can't add you, and I'm not going to. I've had people that are in my videos. Well, why don't you tell me the video came out? Why aren't you signed up for my daily-ish email? Let's rephrase this to a more positive message. Thank you for listening to this podcast in a timely manner. And if you have any friends who you think you'd really like to have on your project because they got some skills but timeliness ain't one of them, if you could let them know about the workshop tour before it's over, we would appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that seems to be a running theme is uh, everybody finding out about it like two months later. Uh, And why didn't you tell me? No, this is your two-month warning. October, Missoula. Get on com slash Missoula and get here. Okay, our East Coast tour is basically down I-90. Until we run out of Maine and have to go to Canada. Yeah. And then when we get to Canada, we're going to be in near Fredericton, New Brunswick. Meet some very nice people, and that's probably going to be the, I don't know, one of the other more awesome workshops because we're going to stay there an extra couple of days for people that want to ask lots of interesting questions. So this is more like it's more like the northern U.S. then. It's the it's sort of the I, I, I kind of started calling it the Great Green Northern Tour because it's mostly uh, we got Minnesota, Michigan, um, Maine. Um, we're probably going to be in somewhere between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Um, we're still setting that up and Vermont, and so it's like. Lots of different places. We may may be able to do a work party in upstate New York. We've got some people that want to do that, and we've got some private clients as well. So it's just like most of the places people are going to want an efficient wood heat option, we're basically going through what used to be the North Woods all the way out to the, the North Shore. Yeah. Um, so we're like I said, we're really hoping to get set up with some people who come out to the workshops, do some time with us, um, and that we can sort of help kickstart some networks of people that can help each other out and really make this thing bigger than just a mom-and-pop operation because I want I want people not to get cold this winter. Yeah. In the last week, I've had two different people ask me if you guys could come teach a workshop in Missoula. I, I think I've been only announcing this for about two months. <laughs> well, would you let them know that, that yes and, and maybe tell them that what their personal ticket would be for being a sponsor of the workshop? I... <laughs> I, I so I told them that there's already workshop planned for October, and um, you know so you probably want to buy a ticket now before they're gone. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know so I don't. It's, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird. Um, anyway, all right. So anything else about the East Coast thing? No. No. All right. Uh, next note I've got in here is rocket mass heater cooling. Yeah. Um, so there's been a question about this a couple of times. There's a couple of ways to approach this particular thing. You can cool the mass down by running. Sorry, I was trying to interrupt silently. Um, the first thing that people maybe don't get about a mass heater is if, they, if you've never lived in earthen buildings or masonry buildings of any kind or adobe, um, that it serves as a heat sink, which means that when your heat's hitting 104 in the daytime, but it gets down to kind of a comfortable 50 at night, um, your mass is going to hit somewhere in the average of those things. It's going to act like a big shaded rock in your house, and it's going to pull some of that heat out of the air 
during the hot part of the day and release it at night when you don't care so much. Um, so we've lived in multiple places where once the mass went in, uh, we stopped using fans in the summer. It's not like the summer temperature changed, but it just was that much cooler in the house. You get often a 10 or 20 degree difference between inside the house and out without any other solutions. And if you're doing even the minimum sort of active passive solar where you open and shut windows at appropriate times of day, you don't need anything electrical to cool your house down. So with that in mind, that the big cold rock in your house is really beneficial for cooling, he's been talking to people about some more active ways to get even more cooling benefit out of that mess. It's like if you're, having, if you're in the middle of a heat wave right. and you're really suffering, then there's like an extra step you could do is frosting on the cake. You might only do it like three or four nights out of the year. Yeah, you can you can actually blow cooler air like your nighttime cooler air through the through the mass and cool the mass down even further. Yeah, you've got closer to that ambient nighttime temperature. Yeah, get it closer to the ambient nighttime temperature down around 50. Um, there's another one that you can do that you're going to need some practice to do it, but it will work really well, especially in like a two-story house or something like that. And that is to run your stove for a little while, okay, get that heat up that's up close to the top, up close to the ceiling, and then open up the upstairs windows and just draw in the cold air from outside, and then shut the windows down, all right? When it's a really horrid, muggy, you know, it's too muggy to think kind of days, and you've got those nice, cool nights, that's one of the things you might want to think about doing. It's going to heat the mass up a little bit, but that may actually help you cool it down. Um, it works in in bigger houses. I'm not sure if you're not really used to using a wood stove. I don't know how well it's going to work for you, but but using that heat to to move your move air around in your house is a pretty effective way to do something. And I've done it before, and it worked really well. It's on a rocket mass heater? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm kind of surprised by that. I've heard it like you can do that with the heat that's in a house. If you open up the attic vents or the upstairs windows, you can cycle air. Like we used to cycle air up from the basement in one of these older yeah. kind of Cape Cod-style houses, and it works super well. But I I would have guessed that it was more of a feel-so-good-when-you-stop kind of thing, like eating hot peppers. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> no. All right, so uh, the next item I got on my list is that it helps to get a really good point-and-shoot thermometer. Um, and, and I've got a link to one on my Rocket Mass Heater article that uh, is one that you get out, out of Amazon. It goes up to, like, 1,900 degrees or something. It was like I spent, like, four hours combing through Amazon to find one that was, that would go to the highest possible temperature. And it costs a little bit more, but uh, I think it's totally worth it because it's, there's going to be a lot of times when the temperature is going to be um, <clears throat> exceeding a thousand degrees, right? And and uh, and it's like it's good to have your head wrapped around what all is going on, especially if you're going to be playing with hot water. Yeah, especially if you're going to be playing with hot water. The other thing is, if you're going to play with a bunch of this stuff, you know, we haven't gotten one yet. We're kind of looking for one, which is one of those little pesto burn checker thingies. Combustion analyzer. Combustion analyzer. <laughs> um, so we like you college kids, your big words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'd like to pick one of those up, and we'd like to pick up a thermometer. Um, anybody got some discount ones, let us know. <laughs> we'll, we'll be knocking on your door. Um, 
Yeah, as much information as you have on your stove is is good because if you know what it's doing from from you know when you when you want to go out and play with it and tinker with it because that's basically what a lot of people do. It's nice to know what it's doing, when it's doing it, and where it's doing it. You know, if you're getting 800 degrees in the uh, first four feet of the exhaust, um, you might be cooking it a little too much. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's like any anything that you're going to have in your house. If you notice how it operates on a regular basis and you kind of get familiar with it, then if the operation changes, say you forgot that thing about cleaning the fly ash out of the manifold the last couple of years, and you're going to notice sooner if the, the way it's behaving changes in a way that lets you catch up with that routine maintenance rather than wait till it's a problem. I just think it's important to say this disclaimer about playing with hot water. Be very careful. Yeah. Boom squish. <laughs> Boom squish. <laughs> so I think something else about the hot water that we were discussing, you know, a lot of this stuff is uh, pretty much it's going to be a, a demonstration at the at the workshop. Yeah. You know, this isn't something that's just going to be plastered all over the place afterwards. So if you really want to learn about it, come and see it. Uh, you know, we, we spent a lot of time the last few days working on it be working on a lot more in the future and there, there will be a working demo there but uh, it, it's something you're really going to want to be in there and asking questions with there's, there's a lot of ways to heat hot water out, out there they're all very controlled and automated or, you know we're talking about a wood burning device here that we're not capable of just shutting it down immediately when you're not there so you really got to be careful with it there's a lot of things that go into that we will be talking about uh different ways to thermosiphon it, as well as closed-loop pressurized systems with pumps, expansion tanks, and uh, I think the one we'll, we'll actually be working in a, a solar thermal controller uh, that we can data log it with and actually would be able to run uh, some solar collectors and a pump as well through the whole integrated system. So there will be a lot there to talk about. Uh, yeah, that, That's kind of my world. That's what I really like doing, so there will be a lot of stuff to talk about that, including the cooling, too. There's actually some... Uh, some things there we can use to uh, to cool that mass by running some pipe through there and uh, running cold water from the well through the mass during the summer, and then that would actually be preheating the water to your hot water heater. Right. So you run 40-degree water through the mass, and it comes out maybe 60, 70 degrees off the other side. Now your hot water heater has less work to do. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of different things that we're going to be discussing, but I'm just going to push again. You know, if you really do want to learn them, come, let's talk about them now going to be a big part of, well, of right. this workshop. Right. And we're going to be talking about a couple of different types of hot water. Um, we're going to be talking about batch burn, about batch heating, where you're just heating a tank. We're going to be talking about coil. We're going to be talking about on-demand. Probably a bunch of solar hot water in there. Uh, this isn't just a one-deal, one one-shot deal, but this is also, it's basically a discussion for where we're going next and what needs to be addressed next. Um. There's one other thing that, you know, I mean, it, I don't want to be obnoxiously hard selling the workshop, but the reason we don't put this stuff out on YouTube is that it is dangerous and it's highly technical. And there are going to be people who that's not a problem because they've already done some of that dangerous technical work, and it's a very small step for them to be able to do that with this technology. And there are going to be people who it's kind of a pipe dream 
and they got to start by like plumbing a toilet in the sink and then like working with some maybe some other technologies that don't reach the same high temperatures and sort of get to the point where they can work with things that don't explode until they only have that little bit of a step to take to work with the stuff that's even that one step more dangerous. So one of the benefits of coming to work with us in person in this setting where we've agreed to talk about this is that we can help you figure out where you are on that learning curve and what kind of help you might need if you don't want to be the person who's responsible for that degree of safety and risk. Yeah, and, and for God's sake, don't get offended if we tell you that you, you need to do a couple other other things and learn a little bit more in this area or that area. Um, this is a this is a whole safety kind of thing. Not only that, it's you know we're really serious about if you like the skin on your face and your hands and your arms um, and, and the flesh on them that you might perhaps want to think twice about doing this if you don't know what you're doing. Well, and we can show you how to make a people cooker that doesn't explode. Right. And that's the intermediate step. Yeah. So I, I think the important thing is is that when making just a rocket mass heater, which is not nearly as dangerous, no. that that we have seen people do things. I mean, I've witnessed, like, hey, look at my rocket mass heater. Okay, A, that's not a rocket mass heater. Yeah. That's, that's a contraption so you can set yourself and your house on fire. Right. All right? And, and it's like it's amazing how people are so sure they're they're doing an awesome and amazing thing, and really it's a complete disaster. Some of the questions that we get at permies.com are more intelligent than others. Yeah. And and some of those people where it's like they are so sure that the um uh you know what's wrong with my rocket mass here where the heat riser is horizontal, or what's wrong? Why is this not working, Ernie? You're so stupid. It says I followed your directions. It's not working. And then it turns out that the heat riser. When you finally get right down to it and you ask all the questions, it turns out it's horizontal. That should work. What's the big deal? Right. And and it's like clearly they don't get it. And then you think of the idea that one of these nincompoops then tries to heat water, that it's like it's it's a sure death thing. It's, right. This person is definitely, I mean, they've gone from just hurting themselves or getting a burn to uh, or or possibly starting a fire, which hopefully they'll be able to put out. Right. They've gone from that to, like, instant death and killing many people in the area. Right. And so it's kind of like, so, so really the thing to do is, I, I think, the, I think the, the real message here is don't. Just don't. 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 Yeah. Don't do it. Until you come to the workshop. I think, I, well, and I think if, the, if you come to the workshop, I think, the, I, I hope that the message that they will leave with is, is that, you know, this, this can be a little bit more complicated. I mean, that's what we're doing. Hopefully the only people that will come to this workshop are the people that have a lot more mental capacity. And then what they're going to leave with is like, yeah, this is really, this is dangerous. It's not even mental capacity. It's cocksuredness. You know, I think cocksuredness is great if you actually know what the fuck you're doing. Exactly. But exactly. it seems like it usually comes with a big package of foolishness. Yes, it comes with this, this ego thing that I'm invisible. We don't need that. Um, I'm in, 10 foot tall and bulletproof. As I've learned, it only takes one Ford Taurus, and you're no longer 10-foot tall and bulletproof. Um, what I'd like to say as far as the hot water thing is, okay, even if we tell you not to do it, somebody's going to try it. All right, fine. Get a hold of Erica or I, Caleb and Krista, and pay the rates for the consulting. <laughs> there you go. So that we can at least walk you through it. 
And we can we can get our humor needs in that. Yeah. <laughs> and we can at least walk you through it and please you know, so so we don't have dead clients. We really don't like dead clients. Come on. You know? <laughs> I don't know. We I like our funny. clients most of the time. <laughs> All right, here's Erica. This is this is like how Darwin's theory works, isn't it? So you should you should try and build one of these before you reproduce. <laughs> well, and one of the thing one of the reasons that we haven't done this in a public setting before is we don't know everything. Yeah. And nobody knows everything, but we've got at least three people that are going to be at this event who know a little bit of something and who are smart enough not to be trying to pretend they know everything. And that makes us feel pretty good about being able to set something up where people can be comfortable getting a sense of what's possible within the boundaries of what we do know without feeling like now you're going to know everything. The, the people that I know in the trades that have made it into their 70s and are still able-bodied and doing cool stuff, you know, I ask them what they know about something that we're about to do, and as often as not, the answer I get is, uh, well, assume I don't know anything. Right. And tell me what you want. Right. Right? And it's just like that that attitude of, I'm here on this planet to learn something, is what it takes to get to the point where you can do things that other people can't do. Yeah. And it's not really, it's not really about being better than other people, it's about making yourself better than you were yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and so um, actually I have a note here on this topic, and um, so now that we've got everybody good and scared shitless, <laughs> that it's a point. that's my point, did I mention don't do it? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you know, I, I also kind of feel like I don't want to be hearing back from people like, oh, I did what Paul said, and now half my family's dead. Uh, it's it's like uh, so. Paul said, "Don't." You Paul said, said "Paul said don't." Yeah, I you said, said you don't, but you want them. It would be funny if they tried to do it before they reproduced. See that way, that way they either pass or fail the test of making hot water with a rocket technology. And then if they fail the test, they won't reproduce. If they pass the test, they're allowed to reproduce. Uh, so I just kind of thought that was funny so like humor. Uh, but I'm going to stick to the message: don't. Uh, so, so now they can come to your workshop, and then you guys can give a qualified don't. Yeah. You know, like don't unless you know. So there's a lot of safe ways to do it. Just you know, the point is, don't start at the crazy high end, super flash heated end. You know, <laughs> start as slow as possible. You know, I mean, the extra explodey end. Yeah, don't start there. You can always build up to there if that's really where you're, if that's really where you're destined to go. If Darwin has chosen you to go there. You can always do it slowly. I, I think it's funny how there was the guys that uh, have built the uh, steam-powered uh, wood uh, uh, generators, and they were like the experts. I remember they wrote an article in some magazine, and it was really great, except for it was very, very loud. Um, but it was three weeks later that it exploded and took out their barn. Mm-hmm. And and so it's kind of like okay, and this was the expert now. This is the expert, and his, so it's like, and this is the same kind of stuff we're dealing with. Uh, right. Steam power is amazing stuff. Ran those choo-choo trains for a long time, didn't it? So uh, still does probably some steam engine stuff out there. Anyway, but uh, very explody, um, you know, very boom squish. Uh, all right, but the next thing I wanted to bring up, the next area I wanted, did you have anything to add, Chris? You're like looking at me like you got to. I guess I just want to say in all seriousness, if you're interested in this, you should come. And if you are too proud to ask for help, don't come. I mean, you should come, but don't do it on your own in all, in all seriousness. I mean, we've kind of been joking around about this, but it's, it's, it's serious. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, and a big part of what we're going to be going through is actually what to use. Because everybody wants to do this, but there's a couple of materials that uh, I think uh, you know we can point you the right direction on actually picking up that makes this a lot safer, makes right. it a lot more of a long-term solution. It's not something you're going to have to be replacing. It's very robust, and uh, a lot of that stuff is if you don't do this on a daily basis, it's not uh, not things that you're even going to know what to buy. Right. So there's a lot of things here that, that will make it a long-term solution, not something that uh, right. is going to fail in a month. Now, you guys are building a pressurized system, right? We're building both. Okay, you're going to do pressurized and non-pressurized. Yes. All right, now this is the part that I wanted to move into, and that is that, um, so I know that when we were at Ekstrom's, that we burned through all the paper placemats they had <laughs> as we were scratching out designs, and I think a couple of napkins got involved, too. Uh, <laughs> napkins were sacrificed for the greater good. Uh, and, and as we talked about the different possible ways, the many different possible ways that we thought might possibly be good ideas on how to approach this workshop for hot water. And um, I know that, uh, I mean, one, one idea, of course, is basically build yourself a dedicated hot water system, which is going to be uh, effectively a rocket stove, not a rocket mass heater, but a rocket stove with a built-in tank that's going to be like a, your built-in pot of hot water for a rocket stove. And um, uh, so you got this big bubble. Um, and then uh, we kept calling this the, the lollipop. Yes, the lollipop system. Because basically you would have a narrow base, and then when you got to the big pot at the top, which would be up a ways, because most rocket stoves you see are kind of short and squatty, and so then they tend to smoke a bit because um, you don't if you need a taller heat riser in order to be able to get a much cleaner burn. And so we're talking about what we all want is we want it to burn very, very clean. Right. Super clean. And at the same time, what we want is we want to squeeze all that heat out. And so um, so we we spent a huge amount of time talking about the lollipop design. And it's, so, it's going to be, so you're going to have your, uh, your, your hot water tank up really high, about so four and a half feet off the ground. Okay, and and uh, um, and of course you could brace it. You could make it so it's more of a column, and that thus adding more insulative ability to the the heat riser to get it. You know, so it's a good complete burn before it starts to heat the tank. Um, and then uh, uh, then the, the next thing that came up was that uh, while you'd have an exhaust at the top or off to the side or whatever you were going to do after the the tank was heated, how hot was the material that was leaving. Yeah. And so we had some concern that it's possible that 60% of the heat might leave after attempting to heat the tank. Yep. And then I came up with the idea of Fin City. Um, yes. I, I thought what would, would, a way to enhance this idea was to put like a dozen fins around the outside that the smoke would go past and we would add, add matching fins on the inside. So that way we might only end up with 20% heat leaving out of the top. Yeah, but it's still a lollipop design, and as we spent a lot of time discussing yesterday, the lollipop design is top-heavy. Right, and there's ways to mitigate top-heavy, but it, but overall, Ernie kept hating on this design. Yes. <laughs> would, it be, would it be mean to describe this as one of the hot water heating options designed by a non-hot water heater guy? No, actually it would be, it was designed by a very, very smart guy. And that's part of the problem is it's designed to be used by a very, very smart guy who knows exactly what he's doing. Um, the fin idea is an excellent idea. I think it would improve on it. 
the only problem I have is that it's got I had that idea. It, <laughs> it's got this big heavy tank. Yeah. That's on what is relative what is a relatively narrow base. And this is Jeff L- Jeff Lawton. Yeah, that, exactly. Right? I don't think he did it, but he talked about it. Right. He did it, and then a bunch of people plastered it over all pretty before he was done messing with it. So he's like. You know, he's got a video out there, I think, where he talks about what he did and that he wasn't quite done with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jeff's just an incredibly smart guy, and he knows exactly what he was trying to get done. And then, just like Erica said, somebody come by and plastered all over it before they knew what he was doing. So now it's sort of a work in progress. That's a lot of the, a lot of the systems out there that you see that are like batch heaters and things like that. A lot of times that's what happens, is yeah. that they're not even done developing them. And I kind of shy back from something with that much overhead weight. But, you know, the fins, putting fins on the outside to catch heat, excellent idea. And a one-inch pipe up through the middle. Yeah, and a one-inch pipe up through the middle, probably a pretty good idea. Um, the uh, The fins on the inside, Depending on where you're at, that could be a good idea or not. If you're in a place with really, really hard water, uh, don't do it because right. you're going to wind up cleaning it a lot. Right. That was one of the things we talked about is only in the place where you don't have hard water. Yeah, yeah, because you're going to wind up with a mineral buildup on those things really, really, really fast. Well, and that's another thing we've gone into in other podcasts. I don't want to take a lot of time, but there are some questions about whether you're dealing with potable water or whether you're doing some kind of heat exchange to yeah. your potable water. If you want this to be hot water, you can shower in without getting sick. So you can put, like, distilled water on the inside that won't have any buildup, and then you can put a pipe through that, which, um, you know, I suppose could have build up. Uh, yeah, you can build up on the on the interior surfaces. I mean, Caleb's the one who who can answer all this stuff. He's you know, he's the hot water guru here. I'm just a, a, a terrified novice. <laughs> <laughs> terrified is the appropriate state, I think, even when you enter the professional world. Is that true, Caleb? <laughs> Oh, I'm saying, I, I can't imagine Ernie being terrified. So if this is terrified, I wouldn't want to see Ernie's mask running at me with this version of terrified. Okay. Still very intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of ways to deal with, with a lot of the different build-ups and stuff, too. And part of that is, uh, you know, if you've got stuff that's just hot all the time and it's going to be building up, if you can design it in a way that you can actually shock it and cool that metal down and contract it, the scales actually fall off. So Ooh, they get chunky bits in Exactly, your water. but, which is good and bad, that's what happens with your gas hot water heater now. And that stuff builds up, and then it all falls to the bottom of the tank. Well, now you've got three, four inches of sludge in the bottom of your tank. So imagine, um, yeah, well, and now imagine this, it's a burner sitting underneath there. Go put three or four inches of sludge in the bottom of your pot, put it on the cook stove, and see how long it takes to heat. And you lose all your fish. All the heat's going to go around it. So yeah. there's some critical things. If you design around it, there's a lot of potential there. Okay. Um, I think that uh, so that was that was the first design yeah. was the lollipop. Uh, and then uh, what would be the second design? The coil one. The coil. I mean, the, we have we have we had three designs. I think and the and there was a coil. I think the, the third design is where you put the coil around the. Uh, so you use a rocket mass heater, right? And then you basically are going to put a coil around uh, the first bit of duct that as it's leaving, 
And I think that's the design that you guys like at this point the most. Yeah, we're, we're playing with it. it. It's very situational dependent, though. It all depends on what that temperature of that, you know, first section is. Yeah. But you yeah. got to be very, very careful, and you don't want this stuff in the middle of the flame path. You know? Yeah. You don't, you don't want it to flash. You don't want anything flashing the steam. So if we do the coil into a tank, you know, you can combine it. You can put the tank on top of the barrel if you really want to. What we're looking at, um, and, and this is brainstorming in a lot of ways. What we're looking at is different ways to heat it so it's, it's efficiently heated and it's as safe as possible. You don't want to play with anything that's uncontrollable. Right, so you want to have some kind of controls. Right, those, so the second design was, yeah, the barrel would be, it would be part of a rocket mass heater. Yeah. And that the barrel would be sitting on, or the, the tank would be sitting on top of the bell right. of the rocket mass heater. And, um, uh, and, and then there would be this option of having a heavy insulated jacket yep. that would sit over everything. Yeah. Something like that. Um, the heavy insulated jacket is basically just to keep the heat around the tanks uh, and and vent it out the top. So it's an idea. It's just off the napkin. Um, more stable because it doesn't have the lollipop stuff. Yeah, more stable. A bigger, you know, if you do it on top of a 55-gallon drum, that's a pretty stable platform. You can stack two 55-gallon drums up and not be able to push the top one off. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's... There's a lot of different designs out there. We're going to be looking at, at several different ones. And then you'd also have a manifold, so that way you could you could take the excess heat and shoot it straight outside. Right. But then you're losing a lot of a in summertime. When you're heating stuff, you're probably losing a lot of heat. But then you're thinking that you should have, if you're going to go with that path, it should be a uh, in combination with solar. Yeah. Because then in the summertime, you have lots of sun. Right. I mean, there's there's especially in some place like this or Tenasket, you know, in the summertime, you got lots of sun. Why are you lighting a stove? These, For one, these stoves don't really like heat. You know, they don't like it when it's hot outside the light, so they're they're cranky about it. Um, another way to put that is if you want a wood-fired heater to work well in the summer, you're going to be sacrificing a ton of heat in the winter because you're going to need to use that heat to get your summer draft. And so if you, you build it so it'll draft in the summer, you're building it so it's going to have way more heat exhaust than it needs in the winter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, set up a solar hot water heater. It, we, you've got lots of sun for most of the summer in most places. There are a few places that I can honestly say eh, there's not really any chance of you getting solar hot water unless you're planning on spending some bucks. Yeah. Um, because <clears throat> there's places that I know of in on on the continent of North America where if the clouds break during summer, everybody falls to their knees and wonders what they've done. So then by having the coil around that first bit of pipe as it comes past the manifold, then uh, the idea is is that um, that part of the mass is getting heated and it'll hold hot for a long time. Yes. And then um, even if it's been 12 hours and then you go to use some of the water, it's going to be warm. When you run it through that coil, it's still going to get it's still going to get quite warm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing I'd say about summer burning of the, the wood stuff too. I mean, it's August in Montana, and it it is sketchy to be lighting stuff on fire here right now. Like the woods are starting on fire from lightning strikes, and you just don't really have a lot of business doing that on a daily basis. Right. They're pretty, you know. But there's tons of sunshine. 
Yeah. So unless you're on the north face of a very steep mountain and have no sunlight ever, which in that case you're probably not listening to this podcast and growing things anyways. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit tricky there. All right. Any, what would that be, an underground bunker in the Arctic? Yeah. Something? I don't know. Yeah. So uh, anything else about the different, the three different designs or any other designs when fooling around with hot water and rocket technology? No? No? No, I don't no, think no so. major ones. We'll, we'll be discussing a lot more, though, too. Well, yeah. The way there's there's, there's going to be a... There's thermal siphoning. There's, there's lots of different options, and so there's a solution for every situation. Well, That's I know the moral of the story. All of the workshops start with an evening of uh, fire science. Yes. And and then um, I believe that from well, when we roughly designed this workshop, and maybe you guys have changed the schedules a lot, I thought that on the first half of the day, we would cover this uh, rocket mass heater. We would build a rocket mass heater in a very short amount of time, yep. in record time, probably. Absolutely. That would be Saturday morning. So Saturday morning, building a rocket mass heater, and then, like, we all sit around and ooh and ah and point and warm our butts on it. And then Saturday and, afternoon, and then we cook turkeys. Now, I was thinking that Saturday morning we probably still have time to do at least one, if not both, of the J-Tube rocket stoves. Yeah. Um, but well, you presented it as a challenge for cooking turkeys. So I designed okay. around cooking turkeys. All right. Because, yeah, Thanksgiving shortly around the corner. We'll get the turkey cooker thing going. And we'll have two designs. One design is going to be like, uh, look, we made this out of junk we found lying around. And the other design is... Just buffet. We have the most executive fancy pants rocket stove that can be built, yeah. and it looks so deluxe. Something like that. Yeah, we're gonna go with the deluxe option. Yeah. yeah. All right. I don't know All about right. the. I don't know about selling it to Buffy. Okay. Um, Buffy. Or <laughs> whoever that is. So, so for for a while, I lived on a little farm uh, in Bellevue, Washington, and. And I kind of had this problem, like, going there because Bellevue is Bellevue. Oh, and it's where they have the Rolls-Royce dealership. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's where all the Microsoft rich people live. Really? Yeah. And so it's kind of like, uh, so I lived a little farm there for a while. Uh, and uh, But anyway, <clears throat> that's another story for another day. So that's where I learned how to say that because somebody was telling me, oh, you live in um, but I learned how to say it. <laughs> very good at it. Thank you. Thank you. I've practiced. So one of the things I'd, I'd like to point out is that the next subject on here is that the book is a little bit behind the times, and um, it's still an excellent resource. But there's some things like uh, I never intended for metal heat risers to become standard. <laughs> They're an option. Uh, I still, we still recommend brick heat risers. Well, I think I think the latest version of the book was put out at a time when um, efficiency was not as high as it is now. I mean, you were you, yeah. you were getting by five times less wood. Yeah, smoke back was pretty standard. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, basically, it seems like things have come a long way since the last edition of the book was printed. I think it, I think it has, and I think that um, that we'll get another edition out there. And my only, you know, the book's still a great resource. Yeah. There isn't another one out there. It, it really helps to explain a lot of little bits and bobs. Right, right. So yeah. And it explains it in, in common language. It's not really technical. You know, it's excellent at not writing technical. I 
think that there's going to be an update, but I'm not sure. Um, that's the last thing I heard is that, it, that they were going to update it. Eric and I are slowly working on um, sort of technical on a technical manual. Yeah, well, which is which is where we need literally another minion. Well, at this point in time, though, you guys have two plans out there, and the plans aren't just plans. The plans cover a lot of the information of why the plan is built this way. Right. I mean, there's a lot of detailed stuff in the plans about... How many plans do we have up there? Two, isn't it? We have, we have two that are on the website for systems that have been in place and tested for over a year. We have two more that we have available, but that are not yet on the website. One of them, um, we're getting the last two pieces from the owner and permission to publish, and the other one is due out this September because it will have made its one-year anniversary at that point. We don't put plans out unless they've been in place and in use for a year. Yeah, so we've got two plans. The we've got the rocket mass heater. We've got two rocket mass heater plans, and then we've got the the uh, Cobb oven plans. The double chamber, yeah, Cobb the oven. double chamber combo, Cobb oven. And I'll tell you what, um, the double chamber Cobb oven has a description of everything, including how to mix the bloody Cobb for it. Yeah, you know. So these plans have, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff in there. Right. That's like got a lot of the more modern information on yeah. on how to refine these. And stuff. So basically, I guess the thing I'm trying to say is the book is outdated, but it does have some stuff about how to understand some things for beginners. Yeah. And then, but I think, I think that one would be wise if you're going to actually build one to get at least one of the plans. Yeah. And because there's going to have a lot of the more recent information Plus some really exact plans, which I think are going to—it's going to really make a big. Because so people are looking at the book, they're, they're getting crazy ideas from yeah. the book that just don't make sense. And I think the plans do a much better job of like it's two point four inches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you got to remember that the book was written. Um, the the originator the, the, of these designs, um, Yanto Evans, created this to be something you could use as a very low embodied energy way to heat cob cottages. Yeah. And so one of the biggest things that Ernie and I have that makes our some of our designs different from the originals is we work with a lot of people who own something that's not a cob cottage, yet they still want an efficient wood fired heater. Yeah. So we've you know, we've worked with people with stick frames or converting a garage that maybe they got a concrete slab for the floor. It's um it's possible to build something that works using the book, and chances are very good that you're going to get something that's going to work for you within your first, say, three tries yeah. um, off of the book, and you're going to learn a ton in the process. And that's kind of the point of the book for both of its authors is to get people learning how to do things for themselves and how to be smart about how they're using resources. And it's, it's incredibly useful to that. But if you're looking to have something that, your engineer signs off on and you only have to build it once, um, that's where it may be very useful to refer to some things that have already been built in something that's more like the situation where you might be putting it. Oh, yeah. And the uh, uh, Portland, what reports we hear is that Portland has approved code for rocket mass heaters. And the design is your design. Yes. Yeah. We wrote the wrote most of the rocket mass heater stuff, so yeah. And that would be the six inch design that's available for sale. That would be the six and eight inch. The, the final version of that code should be out on the website 
some point this summer. Um, and it just it details out things like clearances to combustibles that are going to be important in a stick-framed house where it might not be in a cob cottage. And that's one of those things I don't remember seeing in the book is how far away do you put that hot metal barrel from a stick-framed wall? Not really an issue for somebody that lives in a cob house. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's that's exciting. That, I think, is the first time that these have been incorporated into a lo- local building code, so there is a legal process to get one approved. So, yeah, if you live in Portland, you're in luck. And for a lot of places where you want to, you know, align with building codes, they kind of, the first thing they want to know is, has it been approved anywhere else? And so you'll need those plans in order to be able to help get it through the, the process. But I, I guess the thing is, is that I know that as I field lots and lots of questions for, for these things, I kind of feel like uh, just, you know, trying to get people to just get the book, I mean, I, that doesn't cut it anymore. That So, so now I, I tell people that if you're going to get only one thing, get one of the plans. If you're going to get two things, get one of the plans and, and the book. Yeah. 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 I would... I would say that right now the plans are carrying a lot of the technical weight. The other, the other thing to do is get on Hermes and read the the stove the stove thread. I mean, there is probably 700 hours of information on there. That is, and some of it's ridiculous. Like people saying they're doing ridiculous things. So be be wary. There's a ton of there's a ton of rebut. There. So there's yeah. there's Erica and I putting out hours and hours and hours and hours of what we've found out in research and everything else on that site where people could sit down and, and you basically got the book right there in all the different questions. Learning the basics, learning the language is what the book is for. Right? Yeah. So you can so you can understand that conversation. I, I don't know about you guys, but I still get people sending me emails telling me that they want me to describe how to build one to them in detail through email. And um, and it's like uh, I, I'm shocked that they would even ask that. Oh, wait. Now so. that we're talking about water heaters, we're going to get a lot more of that. I have, right. people, I have people asking me if I will design them an oven via email. If and I'm like, if you want I can't. Yeah. <laughs> if you want us to spend some of our free time with you, Telling you something for free, you should know that we spend a lot of our free time on permies, telling other people things for free, and that would be a really good place to go if that's what you want. Yeah, right. That's what I do too. Is I say, okay, if you ask this question on permies, oh, I don't like forums. I prefer to do email. And then I say, I charge $120 per hour, and you can pay me a one-hour minimum through PayPal. Yeah. And then they're like, what a dick. Yes. Yes, I'm a dick. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I only have given away hundreds of hours of podcasts and uh, probably hundreds of hours of videos and um, uh, I don't know how many you know, articles. But anyway, yeah, So, but I'm a dick. That's true. I am. And, uh, and I don't know. I, I just don't have the time. I, 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 I can't even answer all the emails that I get that are actually, like, appropriate. Um, right. I mean, and so it's, 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 the key is, is I think it's – and I have – I think I've been really good when people say – I put out a policy and I say – if you ask a question of Permis and you don't get an excellent answer in 48 hours, email me with a link to the thread, and I will. And I've done this several times. About about once every two weeks, somebody will go through the whole thing and send me an email. Okay, I'm invoking the 48-hour rule, and I want you to answer this. But I'll, even if my answer is not satisfactory, I'll find somebody who has a satisfactory answer if possible. 
Like, I know I've contacted you guys and said, okay, can you guys come and look at this thread? Because right. they've, they followed the rules. They did everything respectfully and appropriately. And so take a look. Yeah, uh, we, we love that. And we love that. That, you know, that means that we can concentrate on, on where we need to concentrate it. Now, we, we don't get on the forums as much as other people, mostly because we've got other things that we're trying to do at the same time. Yeah. It's, you know, the research, I can't, I can't read Hermes and do research at the same time. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, but when we get this notice from Paul that says, you know, or from, from you that says, hey, look, you know, this guy's got this question. He's been through this whole thing. And what's he's done it. He's been respectful. Right. What's the answer? You know, do you have the answer for him? We jump all over that. That that works great. Um, well, and there's some of these guys that are, I, I would, what would you say, like the journeyman builders, yeah. where they've done three or four rocket mass heaters that have all worked for them, and they're playing with some cool stuff. Um, and so you're liable, if it's a question that's like a common issue, you're liable to get an answer from three different people on three different ways to do it that all work yeah. before we ever get around to it. And you wouldn't know who those people are to go and ask them because they're not necessarily famous yet. You know, they got maybe a couple of YouTube videos out on these cool things they've done. Um, but there's some really, there's some really bright people out there, and there's some really. Um, and for every one of those, there are how many dumb fucks? Well, that's, that's the thing, is that generally speaking, people are fairly courteous, and they'll let you know if you're going beyond what you know. Like, you've got somebody who's saying off of the cuff, off of their armchair knowledge, this maybe shouldn't work. You'll get somebody else saying, when I did it, this is what happened. And so you, without, you know, as long as you're not somebody that believes everything you read, you can go through and you can make a pretty good assessment of who's done it, who's put the time in, who's got pictures of what it was like a week after they did it. <laughs> and... You know, and who's up there saying, this is my grand plans to rule the universe when I suddenly become Superman. And and there's there's so much useful information on there, and there's very little uh, abuse. Yeah. I would say it's one of the forums I've been on that has the least abuse. I delete it. Yeah, pretty much why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think we also have a lot of really good people out there that have yeah. been paying attention and have been respectful, and now they're answering questions. And so I, I think we're getting a lot of good information exchange. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's partly because you count as abuse when somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about starts. You don't even have to swear at them. If you start bashing somebody that knows what they're doing and that we value having on the forums, we're going to sort that out. We yeah. don't want people who don't know what they're talking about driving all the smart people away. Or they experience people. We have the delete button. Exactly. We have the delete button. Yeah, yeah. and Paul gave us the delete button, too, which is kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, mostly we just go there when we have free time and we're in a good mood and we can check, check out and make sure that everybody's still kind of having a good conversation. And a lot of times what's going on there is just great whether, whether or not we've stopped in. I think these podcasts uh, do a lot to help people that listen to the podcast but then be able to go and answer questions. Yeah. In those forums, especially from the noobs. Yeah. 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 And the, and and see, don't um, anybody who's new to this, don't take this as looking down on you. You've got plenty of questions, and they're good questions. It's just it's a limited it's a limit to how much time everybody has. And and this area is growing so fast. Yeah. And I really am scrambling to keep up. Erica's scrambling to keep up. 
we've just brought two new people on on board that are scram- that are going to be scrambling to keep up. I don't know if they're scrambling yet, but they will. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Paul's scrambling to keep up. So it's kind of like if we miss your question, we miss your question. If we have to direct you to the forums, don't take that as an insult. That is simply it's where we've answered the question before. The other thing is that often somebody like I've been in this for what six years now. Yeah. Um, so it may be more obvious to me what you're asking than it is to Ernie. He's been doing it for, what, 10? Yeah. Plus he did a lot more technical stuff before that. So, like, the way he thinks about fire probably wouldn't make sense to you if you're just starting to get into lighting matches for the first time. And so you may want the answer I was giving people two years ago when I first got really clear on how that part worked because that was when I was best able to articulate what's going on with that question because I had that question not too long ago myself, Right. And if I try to answer it now, I may make some bad assumption about you asking something more technical than you're actually asking, and, you know, it's going to take us longer to get to where it makes sense to you. All right. I think we're, we're ready to call this one a wrap. Anybody else got any last-minute things to add to this? I think Caleb and Krista should have more last-minute things to add to it. Oh, Caleb and Krista, you got more last-minute? Better make something up, or do you want to make yeah, something up? I'm just excited to have people come out and actually get to sit down and talk about the technical aspects that you can't really put into a podcast. As much as I would like to sit here and try, it's not possible. We've got to get our hands in there and, and do it. So. Well, I think it's a lot. I mean, there's one thing when you can see, like, a 2D image of somebody doing something. I think it's another thing when you wrap your hands around it and you can see it in 3D. And, and you, you know, know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, granted, I'll be there with my camera, but I also think that there's no way in hell I'm going to put any of the hot water stuff on YouTube. That just seems like that's, that's just cruising for somebody to, to get hurt. You know, they're going to, they're going to be dumb and, you know, test Darwin's theory. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think, I think being at the workshop is, I mean, this is going to be, I know we can't, and I'm trying to avoid the big reveal, but just for that, just to be there, I, I think it's going to be like one of the biggest, most awesomest things. So um, yeah, and I think it's going to be a good time. I think we're going to have a lot of a lot of people there to talk shop, and I think we might be bringing in some other um, big name folks too that uh, might not be big names in, in rocket mass heaters, but big in other aspects of um, uh, the the world of permaculture. I, I uh, Mike Ayler was saying he might come. Yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there might there might be, and there's been a couple of others have been telling me that they're going to come, and um, so you will see. I I just kind of think it's going to be a big celebrity test. In fact, you know what it ought to be is is if we could take a hundred, wouldn't that be kick ass? We got to turn it into an all out conference. <laughs> Have a bunch of big names come from all over the United States, you know. Then we got a plan on them talking. You know, I know, brought out for a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we, have, we have talked about like this sort of series of before parties and after parties that various people want to do where there's people that like may not be, you know, be able to talk about certain things during the weekend that want to like get together and talk about them outside the workshop. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, anything else, you guys? You guys? Now that my face isn't full of this delicious dinner, I just want to explain the Rocktober. Rocket stove. Rocktober. Oh, oh, okay. That sounds good. That sounds good. Maybe we'll think about a band, but that's really what I meant. <laughs> well, I know that when I was down in Coquille in, uh, what was that, 2008, then they had a name for people that attended these 
what were they called? Uh, pyromaniacs. Pyromaniacs. I, I thought it would be good uh, to go with um, uh, uh, Rocket something. Oh, and I forgot Rocket what it was. Rocketeers or something? Rocketeers. No, it's... Pyronauts. That's what I thought. Pyronauts was good. <laughs> was the, the Rocket app. That's what it was. All right. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about Boom squish, <laughs> homesteading, and permaculture all, all the, the time. time. <laughs>